one of our dear friends, Joe Keller, says this, every day is Christmas. When you think about it, it is. Every day is Christmas. Uh, John MacArthur, about this time last year, and yes, it's true, I'm quoting John MacArthur, so somebody needs to email him and tell him, there's a Assembly of God preacher that's quoting you. But he wrote a, he addressed this uh, growing assault theologically on the virgin birth of Jesus. There's people who call themselves believers, they believe in Christ, but they are dismissive of this whole notion that a virgin conceived and, and that Jesus was the product of a miraculous conception. So how, how can that be? I mean, when everything else kind of flows from that, I think sometimes people are driven today by interfaith, um, um, syncretism, the amalgamation of different religions, and why can't we... You've probably seen the bumper sticker with all the different symbols of Christianity across it. And it's, why, why can't we just all love each other, right? That's a great question, isn't it? Why can't we just all love each other? Why, do we, why there has to be such contention, contentious between religions? And that's a good question. But it's a little difficult when one fundamental truth of one faith is diametrically opposed to the fundamental truth of another faith, it's kind of hard to blend those two things together, isn't it? I'm not going to attempt that at all. But I'm speaking about the person of Jesus Christ who is the center of contention in this world. And when he came, he came and there was trouble while he was, while he was here, while he was preaching, there was conflict. There was people didn't like him. People didn't believe in him. People attacked him. And it hasn't changed, has it? He's still that person that's involved in the center of such dispute. I want to attach this, this word Messiah to him. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 1 here in just a moment. So if you want to find that. Uh, speaking of Jesus, he is the promised Messiah and his death and resurrection is what brings us salvation, right? We agree with that. But three, fun, three monotheistic faiths believe in Abraham, but from there on, the belief shifts. There's Judaism, Islam, and Christianity that all attach themselves to Abraham, but in a different way. For Islam, Abraham's blessing went to his Arab son, Ishmael. In Judaism, the blessing of Abraham went to Isaac. For us, in Christianity, we believe Isaac was just a symbol of the true seed of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, and that cannot be accepted by the other two religions that attach themselves to Abraham. Now, Matthew is one of the 12. He's one of the two apostles that gives a a uh, review of the life and ministry of Jesus. The other one is John. And Matthew, right at the very start, gets to this point. Now, people who look at Matthew says, Matthew's audience, he must have been writing primarily to a Jewish audience because right in the, he drops a thunderclap of a statement right in the first sentence. In the original language, it's only eight words. And the first is the word we get for book, biblios, Bible, book, book, 
And the next word is Genesis, book of beginnings of Jesus Christ. Uh, Yeshua Mashiach in Hebrew, the Jesus Messiah. Christ is a, is a Greek term for anointed one. And, it, and immediately he, he puts Jesus forth in the first line of his gospel as the promised Messiah. And he makes that point by tracking it all the way down from Abraham to Joseph. And you look at verse 18 in chapter 1, if you're there, what a great... I mean, I'm not going to go through the genealogy, but I love genealogies. I don't know if anybody's like me, but I love genealogies. I'm, I'm an Ancestry.com. I'm, I've been a member for a long time. I've, I've researched Brenda's family. I wanted to know her family's history to... Just to see, you know, I was curious. <laughs> From Mississippi, the great state of Mississippi, great family, by the way, Sumrall family, Scottish, redheaded, wonderful people. But I, I wished I could track my family past where they're at. I've stopped with James Lynn in the 1700s, and I think maybe a Russian came over here and changed his name. I don't know. But... Uh, Somewhere our genealogy goes. But when he gets through the genealogy, this is the exact thing he begins with. This is how, listen to this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. First of all, he starts off by dropping it right off the bat that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the beginning of the genealogy. And then he says, this is how it happened. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they could come together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you know anything about Jewish custom, it was an Eastern, uh, Middle Eastern, Eastern thing that people did, and they arranged marriages. And most of the time they did this because families were poor and and they wanted to marry off their daughters as soon as possible. And, and they had to do this by, first of all, a pledge. And for that pledge, the, the prospective husband, who was already considered like her husband, had to build a, a, a suitable place for them to live. Hey, that might not be a bad idea now. Uh, but she would stay with her parents until he finished the building, and usually it was an extra room on his parents' house, which we're like, oh, I don't believe that at all. <laughs> but this is the way they did it. This is how, and, and really it's kind of like it was suspense because you never n- knew exactly when he laid the final tile or, or put in the last window. Or, and this is why she was just always in suspense that when he finished the house, he and his entourage would go to her home and they would shout, the bridegroom is coming. He's finished the house. Now you know why John 14 is so remarkable. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. It's, a, it's wedding. It's wedding language. And so I want to give you a little bit of a clip from the movie The Nativity. If you've never seen this in its length, this is probably one of the best Hollywood-produced movies on The Nativity. But this is a clip of how that vow came down, remarkably true to the culture of that day. 
know Joseph, you will be his wife. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the world, who sanctified Israel by chuppah and betrothal. says you will stay with us for another year. Then you will go into his house. You will consider him your husband now in all men except that which leads to family. On that you must wait. Okay. Building a house enough for a family. I'll talk to him. Obviously, he was more into it than she was. <laughs> and we really don't know if that's the way it came down, but it's possible. The remaining words in this section, this is beginning in verse 19. If you have Matthew 1, you ought to watch this because this is, this is how all this happened. This is why Matthew is explaining how all this came down. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill. Again, this is Matthew picking up the commentary. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And this is from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This is a 900-year-old prophecy at this point. And so Matthew goes back and says, this is not any new idea. This was prophesied. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I just thought it was so neat that the second song you guys picked out was God with us. You didn't know what I was preaching on. I was like, I think I'm on target today. God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Matthew, uh, Isaiah seven fourteen says this, these exact words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. This truth has been attacked all across the board from different sources. And it has to do with the blood of Jesus. Everything about Christ goes back to that conception. Everything. Nothing else is true if that's not true. The efficacy of the blood of Christ, and that just simply means its capacity to bring salvation and healing. Let me give you a quote of one of those attacks on this truth. This is a quote I'm quoting. See if anyone here knows who I'm quoting. The material blood of Jesus was no more efficacious from sin, to cleanse from sin, when it was shed upon the accursed tree than when it was flowing in his veins. Anyone would take a guess at who the author of that statement is? How many have ever heard Mary, of Mary Baker Eddy? Christian science. See, maybe I should have said L. Ron Hubbard. No, I'm just... Same thing. You know, Christian science is neither Christian as not science. It's kind of like this mumbo-jumbo metaphysical, the material world is not really, I don't know what she's thinking. But you see the attack? If you dismiss who Jesus is, then it takes away the power of his blood, the power of his death, the power of his resurrection. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it goes into detail. Dr. Martin DeHaan, in fact, somebody in our prayer time for service saw the, the book laying on my, my uh, table there, conference table, The Chemistry of the Blood. What a great book. I've had that book for many, many years. He died in 1965. That lets you know, you know, he was born in the late 1800s. But he was a medical doctor he was a Bible scholar, and he wrote this book called The Chemistry of the Blood. And he goes into detail how the virgin birth really makes the efficacy of the blood of Christ, its capacity to forgive sins, to wash away sins. You remember Revelation 12. They overcame him. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and their word of their testimony. It might translate, they triumphed over him. The verse before that is an amazing declaration from heaven. It goes like this. John says, Then I heard a loud voice from heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. Isn't that interesting? Before it ever mentions what, how they overcame Satan, he gets to this Messiah. This title is more than a title. It's who Christ is. The authority of his Messiah for the accursed of the brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down to earth and the people who know God on earth overcome him by the blood of that Messiah. Even in that statement, it's connected to him being the Messiah. What, what would you say if you read the Bible clearly that, that Jesus teaches, or the Bible teaches that Jesus was conceived by a virgin. Do you, do you believe the Bible teaches that? 
You say, I don't know. Somebody mentioned it to me in, in my office that, that you, somebody wrote a book and one of the things they put in there, you don't have to believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian. I don't know how they come to that conclusion. Because if you take away that, you take away everything else. And yet there's people who believe the Bible, who, who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they, they dismiss that as not reasonable, not logical, uh, unscientific, and just kind of like they, they can't wrap their minds and their intellect around it, so they dismiss it. Now, people may reject what the Bible says, but people have to look at this and say the Bible does teach that Jesus was born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary. Maybe things people don't understand, they just can't accept. Like my Muslim buddy that I, I recently came up on again, we just talk and we talk and it came back to some of this basic thing is that he just doesn't believe that Jesus is God. How can we agree on that? We can't. But I take him back to the death, the resurrection of Christ. He died on the cross, was raised from the dead, and that's how he saves us. Does the Bible teach that all people are sinners? That all have sinned? Yes, it teaches. All of us have sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And while the Bible declares that all have sinned, it declares also that Jesus is sinless. There's no sin in him. There's no sin nature in him. There was no staining of his life. He was conceived by, in Mary's womb by a divine act of the Holy Spirit, but not like we're conceived, of no human father as an origin. David admitted so much in he, him declaring his own baseness. He said, in sin my mother did conceive me. He wasn't saying that the conception was sinful. He just said that in, in the nature of human life, there's sin. Sin comes, you know, uh, I, I, I remember when uh, Sun Mung Moon hit the scenes of uh, the world with the Unification Church of America. Anybody remember that? Okay, so most, most of you don't even know who I'm talking about. But um, his Korean birth and, and, his, and he said that Jesus came to him like in a form when Jesus was a teenager and talked to him in Korea and told him that he really messed up and he didn't get to finish what he was supposed to do and then he was, he was appointing him to finish it. Yeah. And people believed it. <laughs> People believed it by the thousands. And here's what we call the Moonies, which probably wasn't a nice thing for, to call people that followed that, but that's what they became known. They would dress in white robes and hang out and sell you a rose for a dollar. They used to do it in airports. And then, you know, they, they was like, this is for charity. And Reverend Moon was incredibly wealthy. He owned the Washington Times and the UPI business. So he's a very wealthy man. He passed away in 2012. But here's what he said. He would have mass weddings, and he said, my purpose is to uh, appoint people and, and arrange marriages so that your children would be without the sin nature. That worked pretty good until their children got to be two years of age. It's like, whoa, wait a minute, something, something misfired here. I, I think Junior does have the sin nature. 
But you can pull it up. And there was 40,000, well, it's 20,000 couples, 40,000 people in one mass wedding ceremony that he and his wife stood up and presided over. And really and truly, he was telling them, this is going to bless your marriage and your children that you have will be without a sin nature. And there's not too many people belong to that church anymore. But you see how it's attacked. The sin nature is passed on to us. We, are, we get it from the, the DNA of Adam. Jesus did not have that DNA. Adam's DNA was not in him. It, it had to be one of the most remarkable things that's ever happened is the conception of Christ. Dr. DeHaan points this out. Um, he says, science teaches without reservation that life begins at fertilization, conception. And it is a scientific fact. He was also a medical doctor. It is a scientific fact that an organism exists after fertilization that did not exist before. I think that's true. <laughs> this new organism has its own DNA distinct from the mother and father meaning that it is a unique person. As the embryo grows, it develops a heartbeat 22 days after fertilization. Its own circulatory system, its own organs. From fertilization, it is a new organism that is alive and will grow, continue to grow and develop as long as nutrition is provided and its life is not ended through violence or illness. But it is distinct from the mother and father, has its own DNA, and, it's, and it makes that fertilized ovum, creates its own blood within it, within itself. There's a heartbeat. And just passing of time, thanks to today's technology, they know now gender. And we have these gender reveals that's really very entertaining. <laughs> i tell you what, it saved taking stuff back to the store, Brenda, didn't it? We just thought Kelly was a little boy, and we got a little girl, so it was back to the store with everything, trading in the pink for the blue. There is a benefit to the technology. We're speaking about the virgin conception, the birth of Jesus, his heartbeat, the production of his own blood, and the blood was determined by the human father. The ovum has no capacity to have life in, in itself. Without the fertilization, the fertilization is what spurs life and the production of blood. Can you fathom? You know, I, I think it would just be neat for them to check Jesus' blood type. I don't think they would have a register for that. It was sinless. What would make his blood different? It was, it was because he was not part of a production by a human father. It was a miraculous descent of the Son of God into that ovum by the Holy Spirit where the Son of God voluntarily decided to enter into the recesses of Mary's womb, into not even conscious, subconsciousness, into just a basic form of life. That's what the Son of God gave himself up for. I've shared this thought before with you, but I'm going to bring it back to you because of what Dr. Mahan Dahan talks about. And it's the blood of Jesus is unique because it never, the blood of the 
developing baby never comes in direct contact with the blood of the mother. Not one drop of blood passes from the mother to the baby and back. The placenta and the umbilical cord is a, a, a massive tissue to where by the nutrition that the mother takes in that's passed on to the infant that's developing goes to the walls of those blood vessels, not interacting at all. All the nutrition goes in, all the waste from the baby comes out, and, and this miracle of life continues on within that sheltered place of life. This is what Dahan says. It is unnecessary that a single drop of blood <clears throat> be given to the developing embryo in the womb of the mother. And he goes on and says, The mother provides the fetus, the unborn developing infant, with the nutritive elements for the building of that little body and the secret of her bosom. But all the blood which forms in that little body is formed in the embryo itself and only as a result of the contribution of the male parent. And when Jesus did not have a male parent, it meant that his blood was different. His blood was divine, holy. From the time of conception to the time of birth, not one single drop of blood ever passes from the mother to the child. This is the, concept, this is the incarnation of Jesus in Mary. And see, people can't wrap their minds around that, so they can put it in a diagram and, you know, put it on a sheet of paper and says, this is how this works. They tend to back away from it. Because he's holy and without sin, and Jesus said this too, no man takes my life from me. Did he not say that? So in, in a way, Jesus was immortal. Because not only did he not have sin, he did not have a death element in him. He was not going to die of old age. Because he didn't have that. He didn't have the death element. He said, no one takes my life from me. I freely lay it down. I give my life. Who was in charge when Jesus was on the cross? Were the soldiers in charge? Not really. I mean, the sky turned black from noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The three hours of the brightest part of the day, there was an eclipse, a divine eclipse. They don't last for three hours. But it was to show them who, were, who impelled Jesus on the cross, he willingly allowed that to be, to be done to him. They weren't in charge. And look at what, what he said. This is recorded in Luke, I think, chapter 24. He cried out in a loud voice, and this is what he said. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And the word means to put in trust of. And it says he gave up. He dismissed his spirit from his body. He died willingly. He was he was telling the absolute truth that no one could take his life from him. He was laying his life down because he had no sin, no death, but he went through all of the torture. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that 
we might become the righteousness of God. This is 2 Corinthians 5. You see, I think sometimes we may treat salvation as some kind of transaction that Jesus paid, you know, like Jesus paid our debt and now, you know, we're free of debt and it's kind of like this transaction, this external transaction. That's a, that's a, a really watered-down salvation there because he didn't come to be an external influence in your life. He came to be an internal influence in your life. He didn't come to just do a transaction and wash your sins away and say, okay, now my sins are covered. He, he came to live inside of you, to be the power of life. Romans eight seventeen says this, that Christ did all that he did for us so that we could be his children, God's children, children of God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so be we suffer with him, we will also be glorified together. We're connected and organically joined to Jesus, not as an attachment, but substantively. He comes into our lives. He changes us. There's, there's no explanation for salvation. You can join a church. You can, say, you can say the sinner's prayer as many times as you want to say it, but until he really comes into your life, you're not saved. You said a prayer. And it's kind of like what Carl Strader, I believe he's right. He says, you know, some people go through the birthing process, but it's not real. They don't come out alive. They go through the pray this prayer, say this, repent, join the church. And, you know, nothing, nothing kind of reveals this more to me than just when I'm talking to people and I had a chance to to witness to someone yesterday and witness to someone Thursday night about where, what's your worth? Who, who really puts worth on your life? Is there anyone who puts more worth on your life than the one who hung on the cross and gave himself up for you? Because I guarantee you, there's a lot of good people in this world that thinks that their good is going to be weighed favorably for them when it's all said and done. And they're counting on them being a good person to get them in. And that is really insulting to the cross. Why would Jesus do that when you could do it on your own? Why would he go through this alienation from the Father? In Philippians, it's kind of just put so unique. He who was equal with God, decided not to hang on to that equality, but emptied himself, gave up, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He let go of being equal with God so that he become one of us. Listen, in order for us to be like him. He became one of us so that when you believe in him, you become attached to him in such a way you become a joint heir with him. With him on status. How important is the virgin birth of Jesus? If our musicians can come back up. None of this would be true. The blood of Jesus would not be holy and efficacious for our sins and wash our sins away. And his blood is the only redemption for our lives. His blood is the only thing that washes away our sins. It's the only thing. And his blood is so powerful, it doesn't matter. Here's the reality. I was talking to someone the other day that's in Chi Alpha. 
And his dad actually, I think, lived maybe in the same area that Jeffrey Dahmer lived in. A notorious criminal, just a sick human being. Kind of like what Kayla shared on that Wednesday night, people who are dealing with mental illness, that Jesus died for them. And the reality is that he died for Jeffrey Dahmer. He died for Jeffrey Dahmer. And the reality is, as bad as he lived his life and as horrible as he carried out crimes, he could still be saved. And I know that toward the, you know, he, I think someone killed him while he was in prison. But I believe there was people that got to minister to him and share the gospel with him in jail and prison. Just like Ted Bundy got to hear the gospel before he was executed the next day. Could the Lord save Ted Bundy? How much sin does a person have to have in their life that the blood of Jesus can't wash it away? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's true. The great I am, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega came here so that you and I could have eternal life. The virgin birth of Jesus matters. Would you stand with me?